I want to invite you now, if you can, I'm going to be reading out of 1 Kings, 1 Kings chapter 20 and verse 22. And again, this is part two of our hills and valleys. And I'm going to invite you to open up your heart today to this message. It's got a simple thought today, but, uh, but a few scriptures I want to read. So I'm going to ask you to bear with me. 1 Kings chapter 20 and verse 22. It reads this way. And the prophet came to the king of Israel and said to him, go. Strengthen yourself, take note, and see what you should do. For in the spring of the year, the king of Syria will come up against you. Then the servants of the king of Syria said to him, Their gods are gods of the hills. Therefore, they were stronger than we. But if we fight them, if we fight against them in the plain or the valley, surely we will be stronger than they. Skipping now to verse 26, it says, So it was in the spring of the year that Ben-Hadad mustered the Syrians and went up to Aphek to fight against Israel. And the children of Israel were mustered and given provisions, and they went against them. Now the children of Israel encamped before them, like two little flocks of goats. Two little flocks of goats. While the Syrians filled the countryside. Then a man of God came and spoke to the king of Israel and said, Thus says the Lord, Because the Syrians have said, watch this, The Lord is God of the hills, but he is not God of the valleys. Therefore, I will deliver all this great multitude into your hand, and you shall know that I am the Lord. Can someone say amen? I want to preach today with the help of the Holy Ghost on this thought, God of the valley. And I just need the Holy Ghost, I need the anointing to touch my mouth today. I'm going to invite you to pray with me this afternoon that God would speak. I believe that I have a prophetical word for someone today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your spirit that we feel in this place. All that has been done has been done for your name and for your glory. God, now that we go into your word, Lord, I pray that you would speak and that as the word goes forth as a seed, that it would be planted in good ground. And that you would confirm your word today, God, with miracle signs and wonders, God. That you would confirm it with repentance. That you would confirm it with conviction. That you would confirm it with power. And we ask all of this right now, God, have your way. Oh, Rabbi Yashanda, hallelujah. In the name of Jesus, we pray right now. I feel the Holy Ghost. Someone say in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated in God's presence. Higher ground has often been a strategic advantage in warfare for several reasons. First, it provides better, uh, a better vantage point for soldiers to survey the battlefield and to coordinate their movements. Uh, all throughout battles in history, usually the army that has higher ground has the upper hand. Uh, another reason that it's an advantage is the increased distance and the slope make it difficult for enemy forces to attack. Uh, going uphill presents challenges 
uh, for enemy soldiers. Uh, just climbing the hill, exerting all of that strength and energy makes it very difficult. So those that are in a higher position uh, have a strategic advantage over the others. Furthermore, uh, controlling higher ground uh, provides some psychological advantages as well. It can make the soldiers that are fighting in higher ground feel more secure, more confident about their position that they have. Uh, as you see the enemy approaching, it gives you a visual advantage of your enemy, and your enemy, therefore, is more vulnerable, right? They're more vulnerable, more exposed to uh, higher ground. That's why oftentimes uh, a sign of military strength were towers and, and castles and elevated places, uh, whether they're by the coastline or somewhere uh, inland, uh, having a higher position presents uh, challenges for the enemy, and it's a greater position of strength. I think we can all uh, understand that uh, basic concept. And this was the concept that the enemies of God's people, the Syrians, had in mind when they went to battle against Israel, and they lost. They lost the battle. And they attributed that, that, uh, that defeat to the fact that Israel was on higher ground. And they estimated that the reason for Israel's success was the fact that they uh, were uh, they had a strategic advantage over them, that they were on the hills. And because the people of God or the Israelites were on the hills, uh, the enemies assumed, well, that must be the reason why they won the battle, uh, because they're up there on the hills. And in 1 Kings chapter 20, it recounts to us how uh, Israel uh, came against the Syrians in, in these uh, two battles. There were two battles that they fought against them. And in that first battle they fought, uh, it was exactly that. The Israelites were, were on the, the, the hilltops and their enemies uh, were in the valleys and they were trying to approach them and, and they lost. But as the people of God realized this, this battle was short-lived or the victory was short-lived, it was short-lived, and it set the stage for another battle that would take place in the valley. Now, these two battles, a battle on the mountain and a battle in the valley, I believe portray uh, two types of spiritual warfare that we as a believer or as a church uh, will experience throughout our lives. Some battles are fought on the hills. Some battles are fought when uh, you are riding high, when things are going good, when uh, things are, 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 are at an uptick and, and you are kind of riding, riding a wave of success possibly. Things are going well uh, when you are on the mountaintop. And some battles are fought in the valley when you're at a low point, when you feel weak uh, or vulnerable or exposed in some way. And what I want us to understand today, what I believe God wants us to understand about the way that he works is that God doesn't use or depend on our earthly strategic advantages to bring about victory in our life. Because no matter where your battle is fought, Christ is your victory. Can someone say amen today? I said Christ is your victory. No matter what battle you fight, no matter where you fight, you need to understand that it's not your location. It's not uh, where you are in life that gives you the victory in your battles. It is the fact that the Lord is on your side. It is the fact that God is with you. And if God be with you, who can be against you? 
But we have to be reminded, we got to understand this about the way that God works. Lest we succumb to the idea, lest we succumb to the notion that it's where we are or what we've done or the favors that we've done ourselves or the, our good luck or our good fortune that brings about our victories. We must understand that regardless of the terrain, regardless of where we find ourselves in our lives, in our ministries, in our homes, amen, that Christ is always the source of our victory. But I want to first look at the, the first battle. And I want to talk about the God of the hills. The God of the hills. Earlier in 1 Kings chapter 20, and you can read about it on, on your own time. Don't have time today to read all of the, the story there. But basically from verses 1 through 21, we read about the battle on the hill. And we see how Benadad, the king of Syria, led an unsuccessful military campaign against Israel. And it's clear from the text that Benadad wanted to destroy Israel. He wanted to rob them of their treasures. He wanted to take everything that he could, take whatever was pleasant to their eyes. you got to understand, church, that we have an adversary. Can somebody say amen today? you got to understand that there is a devil out there that wants to rob you of your blessings in God. That there is an enemy out there that wants to take whatever is pleasant to your eyes. It is important for you to understand the nature and the character and the will of your enemy. Do not underestimate the enemy. Do not underestimate what he wants to do in your life. You have to understand that the devil plays for keeps. And what we see in the context of this story with the Syrians coming against Israel is that they were not interested in just knocking them out. They were not interested in just winning around. No, they wanted to eliminate them from the equation. They wanted to rob them of all that is good and all that is perfect and all that is pleasant. Notice what they said to them. They said that they shall be that what that the king of Syria said, whatever is pleasant in your eye. He is not satisfied with just knocking you out of the fight. He is not satisfied which is causing some friction and frustration in your life. He wants to rob your will to live. He wants to take whatever is good, whatever is pleasant from your life. He wants to rob you of your joy. He wants to rob you of your blessings. He wants to rob you of your smile. He wants to rob you of every pleasant and every good thing that God has placed in your life and defraud you and defame you of what belongs to you rightfully as a child of God. You have got to, what I, I feel the Holy Ghost today, what I've got to help you see is expose the work of the devil and help you to understand that the devil is not your friend. He is not just another person. He is not just to play games with you. you got to understand that the enemy is against you in every way possible. He wants to cheat you out of your blessings and cheat you out of your destiny and cheat you out of your promises in God. He comes like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He wants to steal, to kill, and destroy like a thief. You've got to understand, church, that we are in a spiritual battle. Can I get some help here today? Somebody say amen. Somebody say amen. I said somebody say amen. We are in
in a spiritual battle. And part of my job here today is to awaken you from your slumber and to help you understand that we are not fighting against flesh and blood, but we are fighting against principalities, against rulers of darkness in this age. We are fighting against the gods of this world. We are fighting against forces that would like nothing more than to drag your children to the pits of hell and to see everything that is good and pleasant in your life destroyed. But I have come today to serve notice on the devil and tell the devil that it's not going to happen in my house. I have come to tell the devil if you want to fight, then a fight is what you're going to get. Somebody lift up your voices with the voice of triumph and give God a praise. If the devil wants a fight, then a fight is what he's going to get. I don't know about you, brother. I don't know about you, sister. But I'm not going to roll over and play dead. I'm not going to say, well, whatever God wants. And I don't know. No. The kingdom of God suffered violent. And the violent take it by force. You know what the problem is? Is we don't fight anymore. We just accept whatever comes and say, well, it must be the will of God. What happened to our fight? What happened to saying this is what belongs to me? And if I've got to fight this devil for it, if i got to push back, then that's what I'm going to do. Because what God has promised me is too valuable. We've got to see we're in a spiritual battle, folks. We're in a spiritual battle. The name Benadad means the son of noise. The king that came against the Israelites' name means the son of noise. Everyone say noise. The son of noise. The greatest issue that you will face in your life is noise. Ooh, my God. Noise. Someone say noise. The noise. The noise. This is what characterizes how the devil attacks us. This is what characterizes how he comes against us. He attacks our minds and our spirits with noise. Someone say noise. The deafening sound of worry and fear and uncertainty and anxiety. And it seems like it gets harder to hear from God. And, and, but it, it's easy to hear what the enemy is telling us. And he tries to bombard us with noise. Tries to consume us with noise. Tries to overtake us with noise and with chatter and with hearsay. And what he said and what she said. And what the economy says and what this said. He tries to bombard us with noise. And it, sometimes it gets hard to hear from God. It gets hard to have clarity about our lives and clarity about what God wants to do because all we hear are the noise and it can be very difficult, uh, impossible at times uh, to silence the noise because the noise uh, is happening in our own head. Oh my God, help me, Holy Ghost. It's the voices of doubt in our mind. It's the voices of confusion. It's the voices that are contrary to the word of God. It's the voices that come to plant confusion is the voices that come to distract us. The voices that are telling you that you're not good enough. It's the voices that are telling you that you're not that you don't have what it takes. It's the voices that are. I don't know if you've ever heard those voices. It's the voices that tell you you'll never amount to anything. It's the voices that tell you you're going to be a failure. It's the voices that tell you that God.
God can bless you, that God can use you, that God can bless, that God can advance. It's the voices that come against you and tell you that you're nothing and tell you that you're no good and tell you that all that you'll ever be is what you are right now. But I've come to tell you that, that all of that is a bunch of noise and the devil that he's a liar and he's the father of lies. I've come to announce into somebody's spirit that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. That greater is the voice of truth. Come on, somebody give God some praise today. Greater is he. Greater is that power. And so you've got to know that God is for you. And half the battle is, is blocking out the noise. Half the battle is blocking out the noise and the noise and all the different sounds that we hear in the world and the different sounds that are echoing in our minds and the different sounds that would come against us. But the Lord spoke to King Ahab. Watch what he said through the prophet of God. In verse 13, he said, thus says the Lord. The prophet comes to him and says, uh, have you seen all this great multitude? Yeah, that's what it feels like sometimes. It feels like a great multitude is coming against uh, a, 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 just a, a countless army is coming against us. But watch, he said, behold, I will deliver it into your hand today, and you shall know that I am the Lord. God wants to perform such a miracle. Can I preach like I want to today? God wants to perform such a blessing. God wants to perform such a feat in your life that there will be no shadow of doubt that it was the Lord that brought it about. Oh, God wants to bless you in such a way that there will be no question in your mind that by the time it's done, it had nothing to do with your good looks, nothing to do, oh, I heard somebody's feeling right there, nothing to do with how many degrees you have, nothing to do with who you know and what you know, but everything to do that if God be for you, who can be against you? Everything to do that God wants you to know that I am the Lord, and beside me there no other. Clap your hands and give God some praise today. Woo, I feel like preaching this afternoon. Somebody say, go ahead. What an encouraging message to receive, huh? I mean, if God spoke to you that way, wouldn't that just lift your spirit? Huh? Hey, son, everything's going to be all right. God said, I got you. And so the king Ahab must have thought to himself, the king of Israel must have thought to himself, well, this is great, man. He's probably, you know, licking his top, man. This is going to be easy. And he's probably scanning all the, the soldiers in his army, looking at his, you know, his navy seals of the Israeli army, looking at his green berets. And all right, well, God's going to give us this victory. Let me gather my elite soldiers so we can go out and do battle, huh? So he probably said to the Lord, all right, where's my mighty men? Where's my, where's my special class, the top of the class, Lord? Where are they? And this is what he asked. So, so Ahab asked the prophet in verse 14. He said, okay, by whom? So God's going to give me this great victory. He said, okay, show me what I'm working with. huh? <laughs> show me my, show me my, my soldiers. And he was probably thinking he was going to, you know, get, get together all the, the valiant men of Israel. The, the, the top of the top are those with a lot of experience and knowledge. But then watch what the prophet said. He said, for thus saith the Lord by the young leaders of the provinces. Huh, by the young leaders of the provinces. In other words, Ahab, I'm not going to use who you think I'm going to use. 
I'm going to use the most, those with the least amount of experience, those who have not been battle tested, those who probably have never even been in a fight before, those who are probably just fresh out of boot camp, those are the ones that I'm going to use. And Ahab must have thought to himself, oh my goodness. OMG, God, how am I going to get through this? You mean to tell me you're going to just give me a bunch of all of just the young leaders? How are we going to have victory with these people? They don't have any experience. They don't even know what a blood, they haven't even seen blood being spilled on the battlefield. They don't know what it's like. Their feet are not even wet. They're still green behind the ear. And you're telling me we're going to have revival with these people? My God. And the Lord said, this is exactly who I'm going to use. And I believe it was for two reasons. And the first will be just a bit of a side note for you. I believe that God chose the youth because within the young people and within these young leaders represents a new generation that God is raising up that will fight this spiritual battle. Somebody say amen. I have come to prophesy today. My God, I feel the anointing that God is raising up young leaders of the provinces. Oh, my Lord, somebody better preach with your pastor today. I said God is raising up young leaders of the province. He said, but pastor, I don't got the experience. I don't got the, all, of, all the background. I don't have all the knowledge and all the skills. That's all right. Because all that God is looking for is a willing vessel that will say, God, here I am. Send me into the battle. Is there a young leader in this house? Is there a young man? Is there a young woman? That'll say, God, here I am. Send me to the front lines. If that's you, why don't you give God some praise? Why don't you magnify him today? Somebody shout out to the Lord. Come on and clap your hands. In case you haven't noticed. God has blessed City Light with a lot of young people and young families and young adults. And I thought to myself, in many ways, I'm, we may be like the children of Israel at this time. We've got young leaders of the provinces. Maybe they're, 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 we don't have maybe all of the experience and, and all of that. But, but what I've come to realize that that's not what God is looking for. God, you know what God's looking for? Someone say what? Come on, someone say what? He's not looking for all the sun of Jesse that all stood there line upon line shoulder upon shoulder with all the stature and all the all the credentials and everything that they needed to fight that that giant to be anointed you know what he's looking for he's looking for a young David he's looking for a sheep herder he's looking for somebody that's willing to say God use my life anoint me from the top of my head my God I feel the Holy Ghost I wish somebody would get on board with what I'm saying here today. God is saying, I'm with Lord, fill me up from the top of my head to the soles of my feet, Lord, because I'm willing to go out in the battle. You know why God chooses the young people? Because the older we get and the longer we be in this thing, the less willing we are to get our hands dirty. Because we think we know it all already. We got it all mapped out. We got it all figured out. We've become, Brother David, strategic. Oh, that doesn't work, brother. That, that doesn't work in this. I've, I've seen it. Oh, I've seen it done a hundred times. That doesn't work. But, but what if that's what God told you to do? So now you're, you're, you have more knowledge than God. Because I've been around. I've, I've been in this thing all of my life. That's the problem. 
So I guess there's nothing new under the sun for you. Do you know how many sermons I've heard in my life, Brother Dave? Brother, you know how many sermons I've heard, Brother Ben? I've heard so many. I've heard thousands and thousands of sermons. But do you know every Sunday I come like I'm going to hear something for the first time? Every Sunday I show up like, like God's going to give me a new revelation. you got to stay, even say, man, I'm getting older, but stay young at heart, praise God. Because God wants to use the young in the provinces, those that are ready to battle. He said, yeah, but I'm an old relic. I mean, come on. You can be like John. You can be like Caleb. When he was 80-something years old, he said, hey, I don't know about everybody else, but give me my mountain, honey. I'm willing to go and fight. I'm willing to roll up my sleeves leaves and get in there and claim what belongs to God. And the Bible says that Caleb went and he fought. I'm not discriminating against anybody and how old you are. I'm saying you got to be young like these in your faith and say God can do it. Whoo, my Lord. Another reason I think that God did this is so that he can get all the glory. God's saying if I let you use your, your, your green beret, your Navy SEALs, well, then they'll get the credit for the victory. So I want to use people who still are trying to figure this thing out. I want to use people who, who don't have it all together, who are still working through their issues, who are still are, have immaturities and still kind of growing in their faith. I want to use them because when, when you get the victory, you'll know for a fact that it was me and not your skills and your strategies and your methods and all of that. You'll know that it was God who brought about this victory in your life. And so God will reduce you down to what is young and what is inexperienced. Why? So that when he brings you into the victory, you'll have no other option but to say it must have been the hand of God that brought us through this. Oh, my God. That gave us the victory. Oh, my Lord. And look what happened in verse 4. Man, I'm still on the first time. I haven't even got to the valley yet. Praise God. We're still on the mountain. Hey, And, and look what happened in verse 14. Then he said, who will set the battle in order who will set the battle in order what's gonna oh same verse there it is uh, so the, the the king said well uh, all right who's gonna throw the first blow huh and he says everyone say you <laughs> turn to somebody and say you <laughs> you and you know why I like this <laughs> the reason why I like this because like a lot of people we're waiting for the devil to hit us first the problem with most Christians is that we don't know how to play offense. We only play defense. We only react to what the, my God, we only react to what the devil is doing. We only react to what's going on in the world and what's happening in our lives. We're constantly countering what the devil is doing. But God is saying, no, I've called you to be not just defensive but offensive. Oh, my God, somebody, it is time for the church of God in this hour to take the fight to the gates of hell and say, I'm not going to wait for you to hit me. I'm going to hit you first. Come on. Is there somebody in this house today that says, I'm ready to hit the devil first? Ah, oh, my God, I'm ready to go to battle first. Come on and clap your hands. Is there somebody today? My Lord, upon this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. We've got the power. Come on. We've got the victory, and all we've got to do is go and possess with, and all we've got to do is seize it. Somebody say amen today. So we said, you do it. You do it. He said, me? Oh, man. You know, but 
but, but I believe that God is calling us to, to take an offensive approach and, 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 and not just a defensive approach. I'm not going to sit around and wait for the enemy to strike. No, I'm going to, I've got to take the initiative. Amen. And that's what we need, church, in this hour. We need husbands. We need wives. We need fathers and mothers and, and leaders in the church and people of God that are willing and they're going to take the fight to the enemy and they're going to storm the gates of hell. Whoo, my Lord. And we're going to pull out one soul at a time. My God. And we're going to pull out one blessing at a time and take back what the enemy has tried to take from us. Can somebody give God some praise today? Oh, God. I feel an anointing in my spirit this afternoon. And so the God of the hills, yes, there's going to be times where you fight you fight your battles on the hills and, and when things are going good and, you know, you can kind of take a few hits and still, you know, but, but what happens when the enemy meets you in the valley? Can I just take a few moments today and talk about God of the valley? I mean, that was the title of my message. I, I got to talk about it. God of the valley. I wish I could tell you, church, that all your battles will be on the hills, but they won't be. I wish I could tell you that you'll always get a running start, but you won't. I wish I could tell you that you'll always get the first punch in, but you won't sometimes. Sometimes the devil will just, will, will hit you without warning. And sometimes you'll wait until you're vulnerable, until you're going through a valley. Now the, now the Syrians made a severe miscalculation. They falsely attributed Israel's victory to their higher ground. Verse 23, they said, their gods are the gods of the hills. Look at verse 23. It's there. Their gods are the gods of the hills. That, that, that's what they assumed about it. Therefore, they were stronger than we. But if we fight them in the plain or the valley, then we will be stronger than they. The Syrians had this idea that God is a territorial God. That God only fights for his people in the good times. Hmm. That God only fights for his people or victory is only possible when we're riding high. When our heads are in the clouds. They thought that God was only the God of the hills. And a similar misconception can creep into our minds about the way that God works in our lives. There are times where we also fall prey to this idea that God is only working through us when we're on the hills. Mm, my God. That the Lord is only God of the hills and not the valleys. That he's only with us in the good times. When we're riding high. When we're happy. Mm. When our kids are behaving. When our husbands are behaving. Okay, praise God. I thought I was going to wake somebody up right there. You guys were asleep on me. <laughs> when people are behaving, we think only God only works with us when our checks are cashing. Huh? When there's money in the bank and there's too much business. Oh, I'm just turning business away. I'm so busy. We think that's the only time that God works for us. When we're riding high, when things are going good, <laughs> when we're losing count of his blessings. But I cannot tell you that the hills... Watch this, not on the screen, but this is important. The hills will test your strength, but the valleys will test your faith. Because it's in the valley where you really begin to see where your, where your source 
is. It's in the valley where you begin to really realize, hmm, my God, what it is that you believe. It's in the valley that everything that you have that you tell people that you are, everything that you say about yourself, everything that you confess with your mouth will be tested. That's why you got to be careful what you say because God is going to test everything that comes out of our mouth that we say God's going to put it to the test. The moment that Jesus heard the voice when he came up out of the water being baptized saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Just a few moments after that, he goes into the wilderness, and the Bible says he was tested for 40 days because God's going to test your revelation. The enemy's going to test your revelation. He's going to see if you really believe what it is God told you. Oh, my God. And it's in the wilderness, and it's in the valley where we experience the test of our faith. When you're in the valley, it's hard. Can I tell you? It's hard. I'll be just a few more moments. It's hard to feel the presence of God. Amen. I know some of you real, real spiritual folks are afraid to admit that. But it's hard to feel God's presence in the valley. In the valley, David said in Psalm 22, in verse 1, he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far? And from the words of my groaning. He said, not only do I feel like you have abandoned me, but why does it seem at the moment that I need your help the most, you're not there. And that my prayers are bouncing off the walls in my valley. Nothing is more painful in life than feeling like you have been rejected and abandoned. Nothing is more painful than life when you're in the valley. Whoo, my Lord. And then the enemy attacks. And David, who was a man that was called a man after God's own heart, said, my God, my God, why have you? And these were the same words that Jesus quoted on the cross when he was dying and when he bled and died. He said, my God, my God, why have you? forsaken me. That's what David said in Psalm 22. But what I like about the Bible is that if you keep reading, you get to the light of hope. Because in the very next chapter in Psalm 23, someone say, keep reading. Come on, say, say, keep reading. Because if you just keep walking, someone say, keep walking. David said this, but he didn't give up. Because he kept walking, and he kept writing, and he kept praying. And then when he goes into Psalm 23 and verse 4 in the next chapter, he says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will feel no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Come on, brother, in about 60 seconds, come on up. Listen. How could somebody, hear me out today, I'm just about done, hear me out. How could somebody write in one chapter, verse chapter 22, say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in the very next chapter, they said, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. What's going on here? He's either schizophrenic, 
Something is going on. How did you believe this here and believe that there? What's, what's happening here? Because what I've discovered is that, you know, you may believe one thing at one point in your valley, but you got to keep walking. Someone say, though I walk. In fact, just say that word, walk. The reason why people give up in the valley, can I tell you? Someone say, go ahead. They stop walking. They want God and everybody else to carry them. God only carries injured sheep. He doesn't carry stubborn sheep. You know what he does? Man, I wish I had a shepherd's staff. Ha! That's what he does. He comforts us with his staff. You ever thought about how does a sta- how does a rod and a staff even comfort? I mean, that's like the last thing I think about. You, you know, I think of a blanket and a pillow when I think of comfort. A rod? You know how a rod comforts you? Because what the shepherd would do is poke the sheep, provoke them into action. Hey! Get out of your pity party. Guess what? You're not the only one that's going through something. So what are you going to do? Give up? You've been getting stagnant. You've eaten all the grass in your area and you're dying of hunger. But if you keep walking, you'll see that I've got still waters. He makes me lie down. But you got to keep, someone say, keep walking. People give up because they stop walking. Here's the other reason why the, the staff and the rod, they comfort. Not only do they poke the sheep into moving, but because the sheep is defenseless, the sheep is not a predator. It has no fangs. It has no claws. It's easy prey, just like we are. And the problem with us sometimes is we're losing our battles because You're the one fighting your battles instead of him. So what the shepherd does, he gets his staff and he uses it to fight off the wolves. To fend off the lions. When David said, I delivered the the lamb from the lion's mouth and the mouth of the bear. Remember when he said that? How do you think he did it? With his staff. Fought him off. He fought him off. And when you're in the valley... You realize that when you're being attacked, there's nothing you can do. You're exposed. You're vulnerable. You're in a low state. But that's all right because there's a shepherd who's got a big staff in his hands. And he will fight for you. And all you got to do is let God fight your battles. Woo, my God. And let God, all you got to do is keep walking. Somebody say, keep walking. Keep walking in the word. Keep walking in faith and not by sight. Keep walking in what God told you yesterday. Keep walking. And the staff that God has will use to poke off and defend off every lying spirit, every demonic thing, every attack of the devil, so that no weapon formed against you will be able to prosper. I wish I had a witness in this house today that would believe that God will fight your battles. God will fight your battles. 
He'll do it for you. God goes before you. Amen, somebody. I said, God goes before you. God fights your battles. And regardless of where you are at, can I tell you this, that God is still God. God is still God. Whether I'm on the hill, whether I'm in the valley, he doesn't stop being God. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change. If he got you a victory on the hilltop, he'll bring you a victory in the valley. Would you close your eyes today? I just want to minister for a few more moments in the Holy Ghost. Would you remain sensitive for a moment as the Spirit of God is speaking to you in your heart? Oh, hallelujah, God. I feel like the Word is entering someone's spirit right now. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, God. Oh, God. Come on, would you pray right there where you're at? Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. Somebody might be in a valley today. Oh, my God, hallelujah. Come on. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. You might be in a valley today. Or you might be on the mountaintop. I don't know. You, you might be the one. But either way, I know this, that God is the God of the hills. And he is God of the valley. God, and if you keep walking, if you keep moving, put up that last verse, brother, the last verse I have on there. If you keep walking, this is what the Lord said. He said, for the children of Israel who were like, oh, Lord, if I, I don't have the time to tell you, but the Bible says they were like a little flock. Hello, there's your sheep, there's your shepherd analogy. There's your sheep and goat analogy in the field. They were like little flocks, defenseless animals there. Oh, Shandalaya, Shandalaya in the valley in the valley of the shadow of darkness and death but watch what the Lord tells them or watch what happens the Bible said as they encamped opposite side from one another and so it was that on the seventh day on the seventh day on the seventh day on the seventh day the battle was joined and the children of Israel killed 100,000 foot soldiers of the Syrians in one day but it was on the seventh day they stood there staring at each other at a standstill for seven days and the number seven in the Bible is the number of divine completion and restoration the number seven in the Bible is the number of fulfillment oh it's the number of completion and perfection and God said I will bring you into victory I will bring you oh my God I will bring you into deliverance I will bring you into greatness I will bring you into to your calling when it is complete I will bring you on the seventh day I will bring you when it's a time I won't bring you on day three because you got antsy I won't bring you on day five because you're tired I won't bring you on day six because you're ready to fight no I will bring you in on my perfect and good timing when I say it's time honey then it's time and when the seventh day comes all you've got to do is march into the battlefield and I will bring you through